Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors Educational Podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Daniel J. Taylor, the Arthur Anderson Professor of Accounting at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Director of the Wharton Forensic Analytics Lab. Professor Taylor is the co-author of a recent research paper entitled Holding Foreign Insiders Accountable. Welcome back, Professor. Thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Always happy to be here. Professor, your recent research paper entitled Holding Foreign Insiders Accountable is based on a review and analysis of the data contained in over 140,000 Form 144 filings with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission from the years January 2016 to July 2021. So can you explain to our listeners, what is a Form 144 filing? Who has to file it? And how does it contrast with a Form 4 filing? All right. So Form 144 is what my co-authors and I affectionately titled the secret form that very few people know about or previously cared about. So in the U.S., when you have a stock sale, when a corporate insider, so CEO or the CFO, sells their stock, they have to file Form 4 within two business days disclosing their stock sale. In addition, if the stock sale is uh, restricted stock or restricted shares, meaning shares that weren't previously registered that are actually going to be you know, increasing our shares outstanding count, they also need to file Form 144 if the transaction is, say, over $50,000. Now, Form 4 is filed electronically on Edgar within two business days. Form 144 is still filed on paper. So those 140,000 Form 144s, you are not going to find them on SEC's Edgar system. The SEC is still allowing Form 144s to be filed on paper, and most issuers choose to do so. So 144 is basically something that you have to file if you are selling restricted shares of over 50,000. Now, what's interesting about the 144 is that the 144 is required of anyone who is selling those restricted shares over $50,000 not just your section 16 officers and directors. So if you were say the janitor in Google before they went IPO and you had pre-IPO shares and those shares are more than $50,000, you will have to file a form 144 to sell those shares, even though you are not a section 16 officer and director. The other interesting thing about the form 144 is that, that they are required of insiders at foreign companies listed in the US. So for example, Pfizer and Moderna file their form, their executives file form fours. AstraZeneca, based in the UK, does not file a form four, even though they are traded in the US. Same thing with lots of these Chinese companies that are listed in the US, DD, Alibaba, but domiciled in China. Their insiders do not have to file a form four, but they do have to file a form 144. So that's the basics of what a Form 144 is and how it contrasts with a with a Form 4. So, Professor, what sort of analysis did you do on uh, the data in the Form 144, and what were the key findings of your research? 
So this was what was so, you know, we went down this rabbit hole because these things, as I mentioned, are filed on paper. So they get mailed to the SEC reading room. And the SEC stores these inside file cabinets, hard copies in the SEC reading room. So we went down to the SEC reading room and we went through lots and lots of actual physical paper filings of these form 144s. So that's that's a big, you know, that's a big undertaking. We found a data provider called the Washington Service that was actually sending someone to the reading room daily to scan these paper filed 144s and then reselling the digitized scans of these 144s to corporate clients. And we uh, negotiated with them to get access to their database of historical paper filed 144s because the SEC is destroying them, getting rid of them after 45 days of storage in the reading room. So now that we've got this archive of these digitized copies of 144s, over 140,000 of them from 2016 to 2021, we then asked, well, what is in the 144 that isn't in the Form 4? And I alluded to that. And the big one, especially nowadays, the big one is the trading of these insiders in foreign US listed companies. So Alibaba, for example, Didi, many of these Chinese companies, there's Russian companies, Cayman Island companies, companies from Netherlands, from India. The stock sales of their insiders is recorded on these 144s. So are the stock sales of US insiders when they sell restricted shares. So we compared the stock sales of these insiders and foreign companies that are listed in the US to the stock sales of the US insiders, all holding constant the fact that they're all filing Form 144. And then we asked, well, whose stock sales appear to be the most opportunistic? So what happens to stock returns after the sale? Compare each of these foreign countries' insiders, benchmark it against the US. Now, the reason why this is so interesting to an academic is because who is beyond the reach of US law enforcement? Any insider that operates in a country that has a non-extradition treaty or non-extradition won't extradite to the U.S. is beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcement. So let's say that someone in China was engaged in insider trading on U.S. markets. How is the DOJ actually going to go and get that person? We actually saw this with some of the uh, Russians who were charged with insider trading in connection with uh, the hacking of Edgar and the hacking of Newswires, where they were in Russia, and some of them might have been in Ukraine as well, they were beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcement. And so if you were these individuals and you're beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcement, you know, your trading is, one would expect, to be particularly egregious. And that is pretty much what we found in the Form 144s. We sorted countries into a leaderboard based on the stock returns that occurred to the firm after the sale. And what we found is, is that you know the top of the leaderboard is our Chinese uh, U.S. listed firms and our Russian U.S. listed firms, and their insiders avoid very, very large losses after the sale. So I think on average, stock prices go down more than 20% after the average insider at a Chinese U.S. listed firm sells. And so what we what we do with the paper then is just sort of do this comparison about how these foreign insiders compare with U.S. insiders. So, Professor, why should a U.S. investor or others listening in on this podcast care about what you uncovered in your research? Well, you know, from a 
from the perspective of U.S. shareholders or U.S. taxpayers, there's really two things. First, it seems like it's common sense to me that all of the companies that are listed in the U.S. should have the same disclosure standards. So if you are a U.S. company whose headquarters is in the U.S. and you're listed in the U.S., why do you have higher disclosure requirements than a company that operates in China that's listed on the U.S.? So right now, our disclosure standards are based on where the company is domiciled, not based on where the company is listed, right? So the disclosure for the U.S. insiders is within two days. We don't have that for Alibaba, for Didi, for these companies that are listed in the U.S., but domiciled in China. That's a problem. That's a problem because institutional investors, individual investors need insight into what the insiders at the company are actually doing. They have that at the U.S. companies. They don't have that at the foreign companies that are listed in the U.S. So it's problematic because we're pointing out where there is this asymmetry in disclosure standards, where disclosure standards are not harmonized across all firms that are listed on U.S. exchanges. Professor, assuming U.S. investors and other market participants share your concerns about evidence of potential insider trading by executives of Chinese and Russian domicile firms in the U.S., who should investors be looking to to fix this problem? And, and what's the fix investors should be advocating for? Right. So that's the other, you know, coming back to the, to the previous question. Really, it's, there's no question about the facts here. The disclosure standards are lower, and the facts are that there's lower disclosure standards, and so these insiders of foreign companies take advantage of that and engage in widespread opportunistic trading. We estimated that uh, Chinese insiders basically fleeced U.S. taxpayers to the tune of over $10 billion over the past few years. So now the question is, okay, hopefully we're concerned about that. We don't want that. Our job, if we're the SEC, the Department of Justice, Congress, we should be protecting U.S. taxpayers and U.S. investors. So what can we do about it? Well, the first thing we can do is we can require Form 4 reporting for everyone who's listed on U.S. exchanges so that AstraZeneca has to file the same rules that Pfizer and Moderna have to follow. Why? Because they're all listed on U.S. exchanges. So that Alibaba and Didi have to follow the same rules that eBay and Uber have to follow. Why? Because they're all listed on the same exchange. Now, who can do that? Well, Congress, there was a bill introduced by Senator Kennedy based on our paper, Holding Foreign Insiders Accountable Act. And that would basically compel, alter securities laws and compel the SEC to require Form 4 reporting of these foreign insiders. And that's really what can be done is Congress can change the rules and the SEC can also change the rules to just say, look, everybody who's listed on U.S. exchanges has to file Form 4. The SEC can require that and Congress can notify the law. So this is really about harmonizing. We had the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act that basically said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are these companies that are domiciled in other countries, why don't we get to inspect their audits? We get to inspect the U.S. audits. So that act basically harmonized auditing standards and auditing inspection rights for all companies listed on U.S. exchanges. And what we're saying is let's do the same thing, but for insider trading so that all of the corporate insiders have to file their trades with the SEC publicly within two days so that no one in China, in Russia, in India, in Netherlands necessarily has an information advantage over the U.S. investors or over U.S. insiders. That's really what the fix is congressional action and SEC action.
That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank Professor Daniel J. Taylor, the Arthur Anderson Professor of Accounting at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Director of the Wharton Forensic Analytics Lab. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.